Greetings and welcome to Tapestries Empowered to Connect podcast. My name is Chris Turner. Joining me today on the podcast are Ryan and Kayla North. Hi, guys. Hey, Chris. Hello, Christopher. And chiming in occasionally is producer extraordinaire Chris Fonte. Hey, Chris. Hey, Chris. Just for future reference, we will refer to Chris Fonte as Fonte so as not to confuse the listener as to which Chris anyone else is talking to. Well, I would like to speak to you, Chris Turner, (laughs) and welcome you back. Thank you very much. Because I think what we all know is if you want to appreciate what one person does, have them not be there and uh, sub for them. So just what people don't know is uh, you had actually said, emailed me the intro and outro of the podcast. Um, So in future reference, if I had a sub for you, that I could have the correct uh, verbiage. And my thoughts were just, I'm just going to forward them to Fonte (laughs) because he can do it next time. On the Tapestries and Power to Connect podcast, the Chris's can be interchangeable. <laughs> of course, I don't know how to run the soundboard, so that's not necessarily true. <laughs> used to do it. Used just, to do it. Just, just turn buttons. Just, buttons. <laughs> just press that button. It's it's just doesn't buttons. <laughs> so, guys, I wanted to have you on the podcast today so we could continue our series on fears that we have as adoptive and foster parents. And one of those fears is that when we embrace connected parenting that that will not prepare our kids for the real world. So, Ryan, why is that not true? Because it just isn't. <laughs> I'm afraid our audience is going to need a little more information than that. Well, when, when you look at the things that we're teaching in connected parenting, right, the foundation of that is connect first. And so if we are mentoring, coaching, disciplining, raising, doing all these positive things for our children and instructing them that relationships matter, above almost anything else, mm-hmm. that you have to work on the quality of the relationship. I would argue that kids that are raised in a connected way have have a skill set for, let's just talk about marriage, right? When you talk about the high divorce rate that we have in our, in our culture, it's because, you know, people that we know who got divorced, at some point, um, the investment in the relationship, they're not willing to make. Right, I was recently told by somebody that he and his wife were getting divorced because they, quote, just drifted apart. Well, that's language for not working on relationship, right? Mm. So our kids are being raised to understand that relationships are valuable, are being shown how to invest in relationships, are being shown that relationships matter, are being taught that relationships are hard, but you don't give up because they are hard. And so my oldest child's 14, so I can't provide the the evidence or, you know, that, that, that what I'm saying is true, but I believe it to be true because I know that we're teaching our kids that that relationships are tough and you can work through hard things and you can get to a better place. For me, that's the primary thing is that relationships are important and uh, we're teaching our children how to invest in relationships, how to do the hard work of relationships. You know, Kelly and I have been married for 15 years. We don't still get along well because both of us quit working on the relationship, right? Mm-hmm. We invest in that daily. We, we start our day by just this morning again, just sitting on the couch and talking for a few minutes about stuff and just making sure that we're connected from the start of the day. So to me, that's one of the highest values is we're just, we're just mentoring our kids in the value of relationship and how to, be, how to work at it. Because being good at relationships comes with effort. You have to be know that they're worth working for and you have to be coaching how to work through difficult times before you can become good at them. Mm-hmm. And I think we're making that investment in our kids' lives. Well, it's just like anything else, really. 
you know, if you want to get better at something, you practice it. Mm-hmm. And our relationships have to be the same thing. And I think that's something a lot of people don't consider yeah. when they think about relationships to other people is it's something you do have to practice. And especially relationships with our kids because we we tend to look at it as I'm the boss, they're the kids. It's not a relationship. Right. It's more... Um, well, it is a relationship. It's just not, we don't think of it as a fuzzy, touchy-feely, fuzzy-wuzzy kind of relationship sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I think when it comes, especially when it comes to discipline, mm-hmm. I think we don't think about that. We think of that as more of a a boss and a subordinate, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we think of it in that, in those terms. So I think for years we were told you can't be friends with your kids, right? Don't try and be your kid's best friend. Right. And so we kind of began to go to an even further extreme and anything that resembled being friends with your kids, like, you know, having conversations, (laughs) you know, was off limits. Like they needed to listen right away, all the way with a good attitude, right? Mm -hmm. That was what I kind of was taught early on in parenting was that was how, you know, that was what you needed to do in classroom setting and a parent setting. You couldn't let them be your friends you could always loosen the reins, but you could never tighten back up the reins, right? So that was always taught was be more firm to start with. And you can always loosen up if your kids can handle it kind of mm. thing. Um, and I think the opposite is really true in that the stronger the connection is, the more our kids respond to the correction that mm. we need to give them. But it seems counterintuitive because we've been told that for so long. Right. And it makes more sense when you consider their ages too, right? Like if we have a child that comes into our home at a very early age, yeah. they're not even going to understand the correction right. thing sometimes. Right. But they'll get the connection thing. Absolutely. And that's what you do. I mean, you don't try and correct a newborn baby. Right. You know, I mean, you you just love on them and you cuddle them and you hug them. And so... That's what we're doing with our kids no matter what age they come to us. We're building that connection that we do with newborn babies, but maybe with a six-year-old that's placed with mm-hmm. you or maybe with a 12-year-old that's placed with you. And it seems it seems weird mm-hmm. and it seems strange, but when you have that connection with an infant and they get that connection from the very start, then by the time they are old enough to need correction you already have a foundation mm-hmm. of connection, right? And so you can continue that while correcting. You know, you can connect and correct. And if you have a child that comes to you that didn't get that early experience of all that connection, you have to work extra hard with them when they're older. Right, you have to build that foundation, from, to the, build that foundation. from the get-go. Yes. Which is really hard because they're going to be at that age where they need the correction too. Exactly. And, and they have no foundation of connection to go to go with it. Yeah. Right. So you have to do double time on the connection. Mm-hmm. And I think especially those who adopt kids that are older, like teen or tween kind of ages, mm-hmm. those are the parents that tend to be the most fearful that this isn't going to work. My kid's going to be out of my house in six years. Right. I need to stop this behavior right now. Right. And they're not trusting that the connection really does matter Mm. and building that connection really does matter for our kids. I think you said something really, really key there when you were talking about the baby and how we don't, well, what we essentially have is zero expectations on the baby. And I think what we forget is that when a two-year-old arrives in our house, maybe that's easy, but when a six-year-old, an eight-year-old, a 10-year-old 
arrives in your house, what we need to really do is have the mindset of, I cannot assume that this child knows anything. I cannot assume that this child was loved, was hugged. And because there's never actually going to be a problem to being kind to somebody, right? And I think that we look at and say, well, an eight-year-old arrived at my home. And then you expect them to act like an eight-year-old and forget that at best they could probably have the emotional development of a four-year-old, maybe even less than that. And so it's easy when there's the baby who just cries and sleeps and soils itself, right? It's easy to go that this person needs nurture and needs connection and I need to mentor them and I need to mentor their brain. But we tend to forget that when older children arrive in our homes because we, we just assume that they got it somewhere. We can talk all day about a lot of the issues and a lot of the poor care that kids, particularly in foster care, are getting or kids in some, some foreign countries that were, that were being adopted by American families. We can talk about that all day. Like we can mentally ascend to that, but when the kid's in front of us, mm. we tend to forget it. Right. We know stories of people, of kids who were eight years old and drank out of sippy cups. You know, We know stories of kids that were 10 years old that got rocked in mom's lap because those, those parents understood that they couldn't make any assumptions about what the kid was capable of or what the kid had been re- had received. They just needed to go back to the beginning right. and start building forward over there. And um, I think that's important to remember when we have kids in our homes. So guys, what are some tools that we use in connected parenting that people may not think are applicable in the real world, quote unquote, real world? Mm. It's interesting the way you ask that question. What are some of the tools that we use in connected parenting two, three, four, that people don't think are applicable. Because I was just sort of like throwing like a list of tools at you when you said that in the pause of the, And then chastise you for not knowing all the tools. I think the biggest one that I hear parents tell us in class and stuff is they're like, okay, so it's nice that you want me to like teach my kid how to do a compromise, mm. but that's not the real world. You know, in the real world, sometimes you just have to do stuff. And you have to do it when your boss tells you to. And, and I said, well, hold on. And I always push back on him and I say, yes, there are times that you have to just do what you've been asked to do and you don't have any, any say in it. Mm. But there's a lot of times when you have been asked to do something and you may not say, may I have a compromise, please? <laughs> right? But you say to your boss, hey, I've got a lot going on. I know you said you needed this by Friday can I get it to you, you know, like Saturday? I can, I can work on the weekend or can I get it to you first thing Monday morning? You know, and your boss may say no, which mm. is the same as in parenting. Our kids can ask for a compromise and we may have to say no to them. Right. But we have a voice in teaching our kids that they can use that voice and they can ask and get their needs met. I always think it's hilarious that, because my kids have been doing compromises for a long time. Um, and so we were at... Um, our co-op that we do for homeschool. Mm. And it was time to stop one activity and move on to another activity. And one of my sweet little kids raises her hand and she says, "Um, excuse me, could could I have a compromise? I really like this game we're playing. Would it be okay if we played for five more minutes? And the teacher just kind of looked at her, (laughs) had these like the strange look and she goes, we really have to move on. We can't play for five more minutes. And she goes, okay. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I mean, she was fine with it, right? but she didn't mind raising her hand to ask. Her teacher could have said, well, you know, that was really respectful. Yeah, you yeah. can have five more minutes. And even on the soccer field, 
our oldest has asked for a compromise, but he's figured out how to do it in a way that doesn't sound like he's trying to get out of work. Mm. What was it he said one day? Uh, yeah, he'd, he'd hurt his ankle in the game on Sunday afternoon and he had practice on Monday night. And so um, a coach wanted them to you know, start by running and uh, he's, he didn't want to, and he and I talked and I said, you didn't take it easy on your ankle. Uh, so he went to practice and he went to his coach. He said, hey coach, instead of running, could I just like do push-ups or something while the rest of them ran? So he didn't just try to use his excuse to get out of running. He actually came up with a better plan. Mm. Um, you know, even more recently with, with the same son. Which is problem solving, which very much is a real world. Exactly. <laughs> but I was just looking at the list of the 25 tools. And, and when I look at them, it's not just that we're preparing kids for the real world. Because the question is, well, how does this prepare them for the real world? I'll tell you how it prepares them for the real world. We're growing leaders here because a lot of this is this amazing leadership quality, okay? Like, um, let me give you, give, give you, tell you a story and then I'll, then I'll get to that. My son comes to me. I, I, we get home the other night. Kayla and I had gone to the gym. And we get home and like three of the girls were like crying and screaming and it was just not good. Chaos. <laughs> Chaos. And so... So we get home from the gym, but the house, like all the nighttime chores have been done, um, the kitchen's spotless, the table's set for dinner, everything's been picked up, floors have been swept, and so it's really good. So um, I say to Tyler, um, what's going on here? It's an, we came home to an emotional disaster. Now, in the moment of the noise, what he heard me say was, we came home to a total disaster, which bothered him because he had taken charge of the situation while we were gone. And, um, and so instead of getting mad or going upstairs or anything, he took a few deep breaths. About three minutes later, I was in the kitchen. He came to me and he said, can I talk to you about something? I said, sure. And he said, you know, I really didn't like it when you came home and told me the house was a total disaster. We had done a lot of work to make sure that it wasn't when you got home. And I said, but I said it was an emotional disaster. I, I certainly didn't mean it was a total disaster because my eyes show me that it is not. And he and I talked. And about an hour and a half later, he was watching um, a hockey game or basketball or whatever was on. And, um, and I went to him and said, no, I really appreciate how you came to me. He was very respectful. He expressed what his concerns. We engaged in dialogue and we resolved the issue. And all of those things, because from a little boy, he said, I have a compromise, mm-hmm. right? And he learned from a little boy that, that he could and what, and what he thought mattered, mm-hmm. right? And so what has turned out is that, is that the, the positive externality of that exercise in our family is that he's a very respectful young man and knows how to talk to adults, right? That's why, that's why the, this is so effective for the real world because what we're coaching our children is how to speak respectfully and to request a different outcome with authority figures, mm. And also, they learn how to say they learn how to accept no because mm. we don't just let them have. That's a real world want. skill, right? To accept no. Yeah, I mean, you have to be able to accept no, and it's really hard for little kids to do that. But if you teach them how by giving them lots of yeses to things and not just saying no about everything, mm-hmm. then eventually they they learn to accept no, and they they can ask for a compromise in it, and they hear no, and they're like, okay. Yeah, I asked. I mean, I was just trying to 
they know that you gave them voice. Yeah, yeah. To to, to ask, they're because yeah. you know, and sometimes parents don't even give them that option to ask. Exactly, well, that's and thing. that's what we've told our kids. You know, you can say anything you want. We're, as long as you say it with respect, <laughs> yeah. Right. And we're like, you can say whatever you want as long as it's with respect. And and sometimes, you know, I've I've had push pushback from people who have said, "Wow, you know, I wouldn't have been able to, allowed to say that when I was a kid." And I said, "Well, he said it respectfully. I mean, mm. I don't mind if he comes to me and says, I don't really like that you're making me do X, Y, Z. I don't think it's fair.'" And we say, okay, well, what don't you think is fair about it? And we can have a conversation about it, and we're able to teach our kids these skills that will serve them so well mm-hmm. in life, and we have a good relationship with our kids. I mean, I feel like we can talk to our kids about things, and as they're getting to be teenagers, I'm seeing how important it is that you have that mm-hmm. relationship because friends become more important, being cool kind of becomes important, but they'll still come to us and say, you know, this happened or this happened. And because we have a relationship, they haven't just completely tuned us out, at least not at this point. Right. <laughs> I know the issue of fairness has you know, reared its head in, in our house more than yeah. once. And our youngest you know, worships Big Brother, mm-hmm. our, our oldest. Yeah. And he wants to do all the same things that Big Brother does and doesn't understand sometimes why he mm. can't. And we get the, it's unfair. And that's when we have to have the talk with him of, you know, buddy, you know, you're five and he's <laughs> yeah. 13 and, you know, his, he wants to be with his friends and do this thing. And that's really for older kids to do right now. And, you know, he's still disappointed that's hard. and, yeah. you know, may even have a little cry or whatever and, you right. know, need some, some hugs and whatnot, comforting. But eventually he comes around to understanding and he yeah. might, you know, He's not necessarily going to like it because he loves his big brother and wants to play with him, you know. But uh, it helps uh, towards accepting the in a, the no because that's yeah. basically what we're telling him is no in that right. situation. Right. But think about all, all the things, right, we've mentioned several already. Think about all the things that we're teaching our children when we allow them to ask us for a compromise. We're teaching them how to negotiate their needs. We're teaching them how to speak to adults respectfully. We're teaching them how to speak to authority figures. We're teaching them how to not be nervous when in discussion with authority figures. We're teaching them how to accept no. So that's five things just off the top of my head. And I'm thinking about my daughter the other day, who's now at the age where she's starting to notice boys. Mm. And so, I'm sorry. Yeah, and so um, we're, we're concerned too. But, but we noticed because like she kind of spent a little bit more time on her hair and outfit the other night before we went somewhere. And so I said, Honey, is is there a boy there? And she said, "No, there isn't." And I said, um, "Which means there is." Which means there is. And I said, "I said, you, you know, your brother's going to tease you about this. So tell Dad, and then I'll be your ally because I'll know the truth." And she, she said, "Would it be okay if we didn't talk about this anymore?" <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't afraid because she knows she can ask that yeah. in our home. And I said, of course, if you don't want to talk about it, we don't have to talk about it. And she just respectfully asked for that. And I mean, we could spend an hour talking about just compromises mm-hmm. because it's an obvious one. But, but you know, think about uh, owning your own stuff. One of the most annoying of all adults for me is the one that refuses to take responsibility for their actions. It's always somebody else's fault. They're always the, you know what I'm saying? You encounter people like this all the time. They can explain why this one simple thing wasn't their doing. 
Well, when we take responsibility for our actions, our kids learn to take responsibility for their actions, and then all of a sudden we've got people who, like a whole generation of kids that now take personal responsibility, and when you take personal responsibility, you repair your mistakes, which is another thing that we teach them. <laughs> right. And then you try to do better. And so I, I still, it's, it's, it's almost the hardest one for me um, when somebody says, well, connected parenting isn't preparing them for the real world. Because I just want to rattle off like 10 things that connected parenting teaches them. Right. That prepares them for the real world. And that, that's my response. Just boom, 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 boom. Drop the mic, walk out, exit stage left, right? What you just said, too, about personal responsibility reminded me of uh, an online friend, uh, Patrick Roan, wrote a blog post recently about how he's come to accept honesty as his main policy. And a lot of that had to do with personal responsibility, right? You know, if I break your lamp, I'm going to admit that I broke your lamp if you ask me. And then, you know, offer my apology and then offer to you know, repair or replace the lamp. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what I thought of just now when you, you were talking about owning your own stuff. That's, yeah. uh, that's literally owning your own stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. I did this wrong. I'm sorry that I did this wrong. How can I make this wrong right, right with yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think part of the, pro the, the reason, again, I think part of the reason that people say stuff like connected parenting, how's that preparing my child for real life when they move out of my house? Because we look at connected parenting and we sort of get really wrapped up in the philosophy of all of it and lose sight of the fact that it's really practical. And if we can keep our focus on the fact that the connected parenting is really practical, then that defeats the it doesn't prepare my child for real life argument in and of itself, right? How about redos? Who? We don't call them that in the real world, but yeah. Yeah. You get a chance to try things over again, right? Mm -hmm. All of the time. And sometimes we just have to ask, just by just saying, hey, can I try that again? Right. Changes the entire course of an interaction. And so for my children to confidently know that it's okay to ask to try again mm -hmm. is a valuable tool. Think about any time in your life where you just kind of like bit your tongue and didn't ask if you could try again and then like hours later wish that you just said, hey, could we do that again? Right. So... Um, yeah, I mean, I think that we could give example after example. So when, one thing that a lot of times I will hear parents say, because I'll, I'll talk about this concept of like arranging our kids' environment mm -hmm. to help them feel safe, right? Because right. felt safety is a really big part of connected parenting is just being aware of how our kids, if they're feeling safe. Um, we know they're safe when they're with us, but we need them to feel safe. Right. And so if your kid is really anxious about being picked up from school, you make sure you're the first person in line so that your child doesn't have to worry when they get there because they see you as soon as they walk out the door, right? Mm -hmm. um, if your child is really anxious about um, being left somewhere, you give them something to help them feel more secure. I heard one dad talk about how he literally, when dropping his son off for Sunday school, would give him the keys to the car. And his kid, his son would put it in his pocket because he knew dad wasn't going to leave him without the keys. Right. He had the car keys. He, and people were like, that's crazy. Why would you give your kid the car keys? They might lose them. He's like, he needed them to feel safe. He was not going to lose those keys. Mm -hmm. that, that's a great point. 
the dad knew because it is the source of the child's felt safety. Yeah. The one thing that was not going to happen was the kid was not going to lose the keys. Absolutely. Right. And so he was arranging. And sometimes when we arrange our kids' environment like that, people say, well, you're coddling them and you are, the real world is not like that. And, you know, why would you do that? But the reality is we are their safe place. And we need them to feel safe with us because they can then transfer that sense of safety when they go somewhere that they don't feel quite as safe. They know when they come back to us, they'll be safe again. Mm-hmm. Well, and they can manage that. They can, they can handle being in a little bit of a, this may not be exactly, but I know when I go home, it's going to be good. Mm. You know, I know when I go back to mom and dad, it's going to be good. And Obviously, you're not going to do that for their entire life. You're not going to go with them to college and make sure that, you know, they get all the things they need because at some point they will begin to do those things on their own and they will begin to say, you know what, I get really nervous about this and we give them tools Mm -hmm. and we help them. You know, if they get anxious about things, we give them tools to help them cope with their anxiousness. Right. Um, And so... We teach them these things. It's not just that we we coddle them and we rearrange their environment all the time to make sure they never experience anything hard. Mm-hmm. But we only give them what they can really handle. And that's, the that's I think, the key. Something that just kind of jumped in my mind when you were talking about that was this image from the movie Castaway, where after Tom Hanks' character has kind of escaped from the island, spoiler alert if you haven't seen the movie, but it was like a decade ago. So, you know, he's left the island. He's on the raft that he's made, but he still needs to, you know, hunt. He still needs to fish so he can kind of eat. And he has attached a rope to the raft, and he hangs on to the rope. And he goes a little farther, a little farther, a little farther, you know, not necessarily to the end of the rope, but he keeps venturing out. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of what... That's the image that I kind of have yeah. of what you're talking about with helping to arrange our kids' environment to arrive with that felt safety. He knew he had the safety of the raft. Right. And it was right there on his rope. And then there came the point where he had to let go of the rope because he couldn't quite get to the fish. Yeah, that's a great example. And then, of course, when he had tried to go, you know, save Wilson when Wilson floated off. But, <laughs> you know, he, let, sad. he did let go. Of the, yeah, he was sad. He did let go of the rope at one point, right? Because he yeah. knew he still had the safety of the raft there behind him yeah even though he wasn't physically attached to it anymore and i I think that's definitely what our that's that's where we want our kids to get to right yeah so um parenting is coaching right right and so um we can it's it's funny that the things that that most people just want to accept about parenting like most people won't accept that you have to practice to get better at it like people just think they're naturally gifted at parenting but the flip side of that is true that our kids have to practice in order as part of their optimal development as human beings. We'll accept that my child has to go to soccer practice on Monday and Thursday night in order to play the game on Saturday. Mm -hmm. No questions asked. We accept that. But the same thing being true of parenting, that on, quote, Monday and Thursday, my son needs to practice these things so when he's in the game, real life on Saturday, he'll be good at these things. Mm -hmm. Right? All of us can drive because at some point somebody probably named Dad took us to the mall parking lot on a Sunday afternoon and taught us how to how to drive a car before we then did some other things and you know drove around the, the the ring road around the mall and then ventured out into suburban streets. Nobody starts driving by throwing a 14-year-old boy in rush hour traffic in Dallas. But we would think that that is the worst parenting in the world. So we can accept all these other things 
that we have to practice them and that we have to train our kids to do them, but we seem to fail to accept that life skills need to be coached. Life skills like compromising, redos, taking responsibility for yourself. These are the things that we're coaching our children. And, and, maybe, and maybe that's it. After we've talked for 40 minutes here, I come to this. Maybe it's, it's, it's the insecurity in the parent or the fear place that the parent's operating out of mm. that they're looking for a way to dismiss that and there's no real reality in the question that they're asking. I, I definitely think it comes from a place of fear because you can see, you know, when your child is born or when they're a baby or a toddler, yeah, you can see them being an adult one day, but it's so far in the future. But when we bring home a child that's a teenager or almost a teenager, you're like, oh no, I have to teach them all these skills right now. And so the focus becomes life skills and they can't have the, they can't do the life skills. They can't accomplish these things without that secure base of attachment. Mm. And so without that secure base, you're not going to get the, I mean, you may get them to do certain skills, but they're not going to be as fully um, independent as you want them to be. Because, I mean, when we talk about attachment, we talk about the fact that in order to be independent, you have to first be fully dependent on an attached caregiver, on a secure caregiver. And so if our kids have never had that secure caregiver... And we're thinking, well, they're 15. I brought them home at 15 and I need them to be, you know, able to go to college when they turn 18. In three years, right. In three years. Then I need to teach them all these life skills and the connection doesn't happen because you're so focused on, oh my gosh, they're reading at a fifth grade level and their math, they don't even know their multiplication tables. And you're so focused on giving them all these skills that the relationship doesn't get formed. Mm. And so not to say that those things aren't important. I mean, I'm an education major for goodness sakes. I definitely believe education is important. I definitely believe life skills are important, but I think that the connection is so much more important that we lose that focus and we can't truly send our kids out the truth is if you adopt a 15 year old, they probably will not be out of your house by the time they're 18 Mm. because three years is a very short amount of time to try and build connection and teach the life skills. Mm. Truth is they're probably going to stay with you a little longer and that scares some parents because they're thinking I only have three more years. But the truth is the connection is so much more important because we always tell people the strength of your connection is all you have when that child moves out of your home. Right. So if they move out of your home when they're 18 and you have no connection with them, they may never come back. Because you've yeah. only been working on the relationship for three years. Right. Yeah. So we have to work on that relationship first and foremost. It has to be the, the most important thing that we do. Not to say we don't do anything else, but it has to be number one priority. Yeah. So I think what we've learned tonight is that we have to be the firm foundation that our kids can always rely on. We have to be the raft they can always swim back to. Are there any other That's movies good. you'd like to ruin for the audience? <laughs> we'll save that for the next Maybe episode. Maybe you can tell them how Casablanca turns out. <laughs> I wouldn't know. I've fallen asleep in it like three times. <laughs> we, can't, we cannot unpack that. That's a, that's a long story. <laughs> Tune in next week where we will discuss why Kayla can't finish Casablanca. (laughs) 
But I'd like to thank Ryan and Kayla for being on the podcast today. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. Good to have you back, Christopher. Thank you. If you have a question for us that will fit into 140 characters, you may tweet it to us at tapestryibc. If you require a bit more room, you can email us at tapestry at irvingbible.org. You may also find us on Facebook at Tapestry IBC. You can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or the Google Play Store. Just search for Tapestry Adoption Podcast. If you have enjoyed and gotten value from this podcast, we would appreciate a review in either location. Empowered to Connect is the training and support community of Tapestry, the adoption and foster care ministry of Irving Bible Church in Irving, Texas. You can check the show notes for relevant links from this episode and find more resources on our website, tapestryministry.org. Thanks for listening.